There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. There are many Hindu people in our community, and I love sharing the gospel with them. When I go to a convenience store or a gas station or maybe a motel in town, in order to witness and share the gospel with them, they're always very responsive, very respectful, very kind, and very willing to interact. And I appreciate that. And usually at the beginning of our conversation, invariably, they will make a statement, there is only one God, which sounds completely acceptable and believable because I, as a Christian, believe there is only one God. But there's a stumbling block of semantics there, if you will, because the Hindu's interpretation of that statement is much different than the Christian interpretation of that statement. When a Hindu says there is only one God, that's all-inclusive. That's a way of saying all the different interpretations of the Godhead, all the different concepts of the Creator throughout the entire world and all religions, and there are over 4,000 religions. They're all legitimate. They're all right. They're all blendable. You can put them together because there is only one God. Now, I realize when a person says that, whether he or she be a Hindu or a New Ager or subscribing to some similar kind of spirituality, it's an attempt to be tolerant and kind and gentle-hearted in responding to people of a different belief system. And I appreciate that because our world needs kindness, our world needs love. But I can't subscribe to that interpretation of that statement because I, as a Christian, believe there is one interpretation of the nature of God that is correct and that all others outside of Christianity have either a distorted view or a wrong view of the nature of God. And so we've got to really narrow this down. We've got to break it down and really understand it so that we can become better at communicating our mindset. Also, it's important to see that there are some worldviews that don't even subscribe to an ultimate creator. For instance, Buddhism does not acknowledge a supreme being that created the universe. The universe just came forth by cause and effect, according to Buddha. And Jainism, another major religion in the world, does not subscribe to the belief of a creator God to whom we are accountable. And so that kind of statement, there is only one God, though it sounds like an attempt to reach out and unify all religions, it's impossible to do because not all religions believe in the same ideas concerning the God or gods, the deities or single deity that that particular religion focuses on. And so we've got to break this down and find out what's right when someone says, well, we're all just worshiping the same God. All paths lead to the same place. In fact, in Hinduism, 
that analogy is used quite often. All these different paths, you'll see it in picture after picture on different websites and in different books, all leading to the same mountain peak. And also another favorite analogy is a number of blind men standing around an elephant and trying to describe what the elephant is like. And one of them has hold of the tail. Another one is embracing a leg. Another one is grabbing the stomach area. Another one is grabbing the trunk. And they're all differing in their opinion over the way, the physical appearance that this particular animal has. And of course, the problem is they're all grabbing different parts of the same whole. And that's a way of saying that a a Hindu, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a different person of a different religion, they're all connecting with the same ultimate source of all things. They're just describing it differently, but it's just one. Is that true? Is that true that we're all connecting with the same source? There's a subtle thing that I need to bring out here that you can love God without knowing God. And I'll explain that more deeply later on. When I was a yoga teacher at four universities and when I ran a yoga ashram back in 1970, I loved God. I loved God so intensely. All I did was seek God. 12 hours a day, I was involved in meditation, in yoga exercises called asanas or breathing exercises called pranayama. I was involved in reading various scriptures of different religions. I would focus my attention completely on trying to enter into a relationship with the God of all creation. That was my passion. I loved God. But even though I loved God, I did not yet know God because there's only one door. And Jesus said, I am the door. Now, what does a Hindu mean when he says there is only one God? The majority of Hindus believe in an ultimate reality they refer to as Brahman. That's B-R-A-H-M-A-N, Brahman. And Brahman is the impersonal life force that flows through all of the universe. Everything at its core has a divine essence. The life of God in a tree, the life of God in a cat or a dog, the life of God in every human being would be referred to as an expression of Brahman, according to that worldview. And so because they believe that God already saturates all material things and this divine essence is found everywhere, then every religious expression in the world is maybe on the surface appearing different, but at its core, it's all the same. So there is only one God. And that's based on the idea of monism. Monism is the concept that all things are of one essential substance because everything emanated out of Brahman. And that's based on another belief called pantheism. And pantheism comes from two root words, pantheos, it means all is God. And so if you believe in pantheism, you believe everything is God. The, the wall behind me, that's a manifestation of Brahman. The tree out in the front yard, that's a manifestation of Brahman. It's all 
God. So all the different expressions of religion in the world are all reaching out to the same source to which it will return one day, to which all the worshipers and all the advocates and all the adherents of all the religions will one day return. We're all going back to Brahman, so to speak, back to Godhead. That's basically what a Hindu is saying when a Hindu says there is only one God. Now, some believe that individual deities are the ultimate expression of the Godhead, like Krishna devotees who believe Krishna is the ultimate expression of God. They differ a little bit from the kind of belief that I just described that most Hindus embrace. But basically, they all believe in the unity of all religions. Now, what does a Sikh mean when a Sikh says there is only one God? Sikhism was founded by someone named Guru Nanak. And Guru Nanak taught that the God of the Hindus and the God of the Muslims was the same God. In fact, he said there is no Hindu and there is no Muslim. The fifth Guru, which descended from Guru Nanak, was Guru Ajahn. And he said this, and I quote, my body and my breath belong to Allah and to Ram, the God of both. And he's referring to both religions, Islam and Hinduism. And he says, my body and my breath belong to the God that is conceptualized in Islam, which is Allah, and to a individual God in Hinduism called Ram. And Ram is a name for God, uh, a name for an individual deity who is said to be, and I don't want to get too detailed and too confusion for you that are unfamiliar with it, but Ram is supposedly the seventh incarnation of Vishnu. Vishnu is an individual god at the head of the Hindu pantheon. There's 330 million gods and goddesses in Hinduism. That's the traditional number. The three main gods are Brahma, and Vishnu and Shiva. Brahma is the creator God, Vishnu is the preserver God, and Shiva is the destroyer God. And all of those three chief deities proceed from Brahman. There's an N on the end, B-R-A-H-M-A-N. And Brahman is the universal force out of which these deities come forth. And supposedly Ram is the seventh incarnation into this world of one of those chief deities. Now, we as Christians believe that Jesus is and was the only incarnation of God ever to visit this planet. He was God manifested in the flesh. And what he did and what he said were totally unique. See, his crucifixion for the sins of the world obliterates the idea of karma. His resurrection from the dead obliterates the idea of reincarnation because it sets something in motion that is a completely different approach. We don't work out our karmic debt. We are cleansed from our sin by the blood that he shed. And we don't look forward to hundreds and thousands of reincarnations into different bodies and different personalities on this evolutionary journey Quite the contrary, we have one life in this world, and after that we stand before God and are judged for how we live. And so there are such variances in the belief systems, but 
A Sikh believes that any of these persons that are devoted to individual gods, like a Christian being devoted to the Lord Jesus, or a Krishna devotee being devoted to Krishna, that they're really worshiping the same God that is cloaked in different myths, different stories, different names, but it's all the same God. And so a Sikh will often say, there is only one God, but that's what they mean by it. That doesn't really matter what name you use, and it doesn't matter what myth you embrace, because it's all the same God. What does a Muslim mean when he says there is only one God? Now, we shift from an all-inclusive view to an exclusive view. Because the Muslim faith is very strong in stating that Allah is the only God, that all other gods are false. All other deities are misrepresentations of his nature. Because, see, they believe in the absolute oneness of God. What do I mean by that? that God does not have numerous expressions. One of the worst sins that you can commit in Islam is called shirk. And shirk is assigning divinity to anything or anyone other than Allah, which of course Hindus do in a multiplicity of ways. They assign divinity to everyone because they believe the universe is an emanation of God, the dog is God, the cat is God, the tree is God, the flower is God, every human being is God. We're all expressions of God. Well, totally opposite to that, the polar opposite of that is Islam. This says nothing is God but Allah. In fact, in their five pillars that a Muslim must fulfill in order to be saved, the first one is Shahada, which is the daily confession of faith, and it starts, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. So when a Muslim says there is only one God, he is very definitively saying no religion is right, including Christianity. There's no such thing as Chrislam. You can't blend Islam and Christianity to do so, you'd have to deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does a Christian mean when a Christian says there is only one God? Similar to Islam, it is an exclusive statement. Hinduism and Sikhism are all inclusive. They reach out and say all religions are acceptable. But Islam and Christianity are exclusive. That means we exclude all other religions and say our interpretation is correct. Well, of course, I differ with the Muslim faith. I differ with the Islamic view of the nature of God because in Christianity, we believe in a triune God, a triune nature attributed to God. There is just one God. I agree with that five-word statement. There is only one God. But my interpretation of that is that the God that I love and serve has three expressions. He's made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God. You don't find that interpretation in any other religion in the world. And so it can't be blended in with Grecian mythology. See, it can't be blended in with... Uh, 
with all the other expressions of religion that are so diverse. Okay, is the name we use for God important? That goes along with what I'm speaking on because if we believe in an exclusive view, then the name is important. While a Sikh or a Hindu may say, well, the name doesn't really matter because it's all one anyway. All is one. All is God. God is all. It's all the same. But I dare to say that if if someone called on the name of God using the name Zeus, for instance, then if God responded and manifested himself supernaturally, it would be an acknowledgement of the existence of all the deities in the Greek pantheon of gods and goddesses that are worshipped. Because see, the name is attached to the belief system, the doctrinal base, and the personality and spiritual makeup of the God being referenced. What if I were to approach God using the name Krishna? And of course I wouldn't. But if I did, what is that attached to? It's attached to beliefs like this. Traditionally, it is taught among those who believe in Krishna that he had 16,108 wives while he was here. And he had 10 children by every one of those wives who lived in separate palaces all around the world. Now, if God responded to the name Krishna, and if God manifested his spirit in a person's life who uses that name to call on him, I don't care how much they love God, God would be making a very confusing statement about himself because he would be validating that myth that when he was incarnated in the world, he had 16,108 wives. Or another Hindu god, Indra, who used to be one of the chief gods in Hinduism, now is not so much regarded, and possibly it's because of a certain myth that is attached to Indra, because Indra has little oval marks, hundreds of them all over his body, and it's actually a symbol of the female sex organ, And he was cursed with that appearance by a sage who caught him committing adultery with his wife. In fact, according to the myth, it was through Indra that adultery came into the world. Now, if I was God and someone called on me using the name Indra, I would not respond because I would be validating that story and I would be tainting my own character with the immorality and the activity that went on, according to the myth, in Indra's existence. Of course, God's not going to do that. That's why you have to find the right name and the right interpretation of the nature of God in order to approach him effectively. See, the Bible says concerning our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who was known as Yahweh in the Old Testament, came in the form of a man now known as Yeshua in the Hebrew or Jesus in the English, Jesus in Spanish. I don't believe it matters from language to language how you refer to him just so you're using that word that is an interpretation or a transliteration of the name Yeshua. And Jesus is an English transliteration of the name Yeshua. And as long as you're calling on him, It's an acceptable way to approach him. 
And if we're referring to the God of the Bible, Psalm 92 verse 15 says, there is no unrighteousness in him. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Well, some of the other deities that I've mentioned have a lot of dark characteristics in their personality. And there has even been evil attributed to some of them, like Indra that I just mentioned. And in Taoism, for instance, the interpretation of the universal force that brought existence, uh, that brought uh, everything into existence, is uh, both darkness and light, both evil and good. It's called the force. And I'm sure you're able to relate to that with the Star Wars movies, popularizing that term. Well, Taoists, and that's an ancient Chinese religion, believe that on an ultimate level, the force or that force that brought forth the universe is both good and evil, both light and darkness. Is that what the yin-yang symbol represents? Yes, absolutely. The dark teardrop and the white teardrop fused together into one circle. But that's not what the Bible teaches. God exists separate from the universe, separate from material things. He's outside of creation. We can receive a relationship with him. He interacts with human beings, but he's not tainted by this evil world as a result. And all of this is very important. The Bible says very clearly in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, that the name Jesus is very important because whoever calls on the name, not a name for God, but whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 4.12 says, there is not salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is an important point. I made it a while ago, and I'm going to elaborate on it now. That probably the adherents, or many of the adherents, of the religions I've mentioned, the main religions I've mentioned, Hinduism, Sikhism, Islam, and Christianity, there are multiplied millions of people involved in those religions that love God. But there's a difference between casting your gaze the direction of God and saying, I love whatever power brought the universe into existence or brought me into, into existence. You can love God without knowing God. And there's a huge difference between the two. In John chapter 17, the beginning of that chapter, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So even within the ranks of Christianity, there are those who know about him, but they've never had a personal encounter with him. And consequently, They've never really experienced the essence of what Christianity is all about because the fundamental essence of Christianity is an experience called being born again. And that's a spiritual rebirth where the Spirit of God comes into you and you're reunited with God. And that's only possible when Jesus becomes Lord of your life, when your heart is washed in the blood that he shed on the cross and you come into the family of God as a result. Now, on the next podcast, I'm going to go into that even deeper.
Do all religions worship the same God? Well, I'm going to tell you what a true worshiper is because Jesus signified that in his teaching. He said, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The father seeks true worshipers, that passage of scripture says. So that means there are false worshipers and true worshipers. And it has a lot to do with our interpretation of the nature of God. And I'm going to go into what a true worshiper is in the next episode. But I also urge you to get a copy of my book, In Search of the True Light. It's 336 pages. It's a very lengthy book. 336 pages that compares the beliefs of over 20 religions. And I respond to 30 questions that someone of an Eastern mindset would often ask, or 30 questions that a New Ager would often ask, including the one that I addressed on this episode. And so that book will answer a lot of your questions. Also, I urge you to visit our website, thetruelight.net. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being with me on this particular episode of Revealing the True Light. Now look forward to our next time together. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.